Good morning. How's everyone holding up? Good. We're in Genesis 36, uh, 35. We're actually going to go through two chapters, but we're going to do that somewhat outlined. So would you stand who are here, and I hope you have your Bibles, that you'll open them up to Genesis 35. At home, where you're watching from, you'll get your Bible out, because we are going through this. So I'll be reading from these chapters as I go through them somewhat. Uh, we'll kind of be skipping rocks over it a little bit, but uh, that's what we want to do. So in Genesis 35, the certainties in life and death. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there. This is, I'm sorry, I skipped without telling you. That was, this is verse 6, and now verse 7. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. So, Lord, we want to ask your blessing over the things I prepared, which is your word. But, Lord, that's what we need. We don't need my opinions. We don't need any. We need your word ingrained in our hearts that we might grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I pray your blessing over our hearts, Lord, and minds, even now as we're just sitting to hear your word, to take your word in, that we might grow. We might become grounded more and more in, in the truth that you said, if we build our lives on it, when the storms come, we'll not be shaken. Foundation can't be shaken. It's built with your word. So please bless now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you can be seated. So we're coming back now to the final, to the final two chapters of our study in this series called The Faith of Jacob, Uncertainty. So I find that the older I get, the more interested I am in knowing my family history. We all know what it's like to see old pictures of ourselves and our relatives. <laughs> we also know what it's like to attend a funeral and see the whole of a loved one's life run its course in just a few-minute screen presentation. And so that is very meaningful in remembering a life and also in reflecting on the course and the brevity of our own life. And I want to talk about that this morning in closing this, the certainties in life and death. So in Ecclesiastes, this is a fantastic passage, he says there in chapter 7, verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So the certainty of death is also the certainty of life in knowing the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because through them is the same promise of life, through the same promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is Jesus. Can you hear an amen? He is the promised seed, the promised son, the promised savior. He came the first time to die on a cross to save us from our sin. And this promised king of kings and Lord of lords is coming again a second time to reign over us. And I say, come Lord Jesus. So in Genesis 35, God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. So he's calling him back to the beginning. When he first met God, God met him and he realized God's here. And then he gave a vow. So here's the vow, way back chapter 28 where we started this series. Then Jacob made a vow saying, 
If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, which he's now done, then the Lord, he's making a deal, that's Jacob, then the Lord shall be my God and this this stone which I have set as a pillar, which he does again in this, what we're looking at today, shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So, did God take him up on the deal? He absolutely did. And he did that and much more. Did God do what he said he would do? He absolutely did. That, not only much more, but much more to come. So, we're, we're following now this promise to Abraham through his descendants. So, in chapter, verse 2. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us rise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress. He's referring back now to when he was running from his family, mainly from Esau, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and their earrings which were in their ears, And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. So this is interesting to me. But the the, the point here is that there can be no fulfilling of your vows without the sanctification of your life to God. There can be no fulfilling of your vows apart from the sanctification of your life to God. There can be no competing gods. They're all foreign. There can be no rivals to God in your life. The danger here that we read is rather than destroy them, he hid them. Which means he left them behind but knew where he could go and find them again. So life is too short and death is too soon to be playing hide and seek with other gods in our hearts. We need to rid ourselves of other competing rivals to our first love in Jesus Christ. So they journeyed, verse 5, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So when God directs our lives, God protects our lives. Would you say amen? When God directs our lives, he protects our lives. So verse 6, Jacob came to Luz, we read this, that is Bethel, the house of God, which is in the land of Canaan, the promised land. He and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, the God of the house of God, of God, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. So the certainties in life and death. Here's where we're going to go with this. Death is sad, but not without hope. Can you hear an amen? Death is sudden, but not without hope. And death is certain, but not without hope. Would you say amen to all of those? It's sad, yes. It is, it is sudden, yes. It is certain, yes, but not without hope. So the first one, we're going to look at the death of Deborah and her life. The second one, we're going to look at the, life of Ra- the death of Rachel and her life. The third, the death of Isaac and his life. So death is sad. Verse 8, now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alan Bakuth, which means terebinth of weeping. In other words, they were weeping. That's the memorial. Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, given to her when she married Jacob. 
So Deborah spent her life as a devoted, faithful maidservant, not only to Rebecca, but to the whole family. Her name means bee, that is (laughs) B-E-E. She was an industrious and diligent woman, a quiet, behind-the-scenes person, as far as we know, who cared for Jacob and Esau when they were born, and the siblings. She's the maidservant. So as they grew up, who was, help, who was taking care of them? Deborah. Now, when the children were grown up, who remained in the home? It was Deborah. The whole time. She was more needed and more appreciated than ever in the years that she spent in the family doing what she did as the maidservant. So her death is a great loss to everyone. Her life would be greatly missed by everyone. And we know exactly what that's like. Because death is certain. Death is sad. And sometimes when it's sudden, it's difficult. We just heard this week from Greg and Debbie Peters, their son Thomas died of an overdose. We, we, were, we did a memorial for Sophia's mom, David Lopez, and on and on goes the list because it's certain. Death is certain. It's sad. And when it's sudden, it's even more so. So death is sad, but not without hope. Now, verses 9 through 15, I want to come back to that to close our study. So let's go on in chapter uh, 35 and verse 16. Death is sudden. Then they journey from Bethel. And when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. How many women know what hard labor is? <laughs> it's always hard, I think. <laughs> I'm but I don't have to know, but I, I do think that. <laughs> now, it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. So the death of Rachel, whom he loved, alongside the life of Benjamin, whom he loved. It's like sorrow and joy flowing together in this moment of time. My mom's mom, my grandmother, died when giving birth to her third son, four children. My mom, one of them. My mom never knew her. My mom doesn't remember her mom at all. That's hard. That's hard stuff. Benoni means son of my sorrow. Jacob says, no, he's going to be son of my right hand. Sorrow and love. Sorrow and a right hand. Jesus is the man of sorrows in death. He is the man in glory in resurrection. Amen? Amen. So we looked him. Death is sudden, but it's not without hope. Her soul was departing. Death is the separation of the soul from the body. She died and was buried. In death, the burying is reminding us there's a resurrection coming, bodily resurrection coming. And a pillar on her grave is the earth reminder of a coming resurrection. When you go to a, 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 a graveyard and you, see the, and you see those stones, what do you think of? It should remind us. Those who died in faith, that reminds us there's a resurrection coming. And that's what we find in this whole thing of sudden death or any death. Now, 
Jacob's 12 sons, verse, uh, chapter 35, verse 21. Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard about it. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. And he's going to list the 12. But here's Reuben. Reuben, what are you doing? What's going on? Why are you laying with your father's concubine? Well, it may be Reuben's attempt at a premature taking over of the family. He's the firstborn. Reuben made many mistakes, but this was his worst one. It cost him his birthright. It says there in Genesis 49, he was, his problem was unstable as water. In other words, he was prone to act very impulsively. Anything that hits the surface, boom. So this Reuben has this weakness, a big weakness, and it cost him his birthright. You know, acting impulsively is a dangerous thing. I mean, it can be as simple as when you're going to check out and they got all the things you love right there on the checkout counter. That's what they're there for. But for Reuben here, his impulses, in this case with the concubine. So Jacob had this weakness, but listen, all uh, excuse me, Reuben, but all of Jacob's sons had weaknesses, and so do we. You look at verse 23, there was Leah, to Leah were six sons, Reuben, Jacob, Sim, uh, Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and then Joseph were Rachel's sons, Joseph and Benjamin, Benjamin just being born. Bilhah had Dan and Naphtali, and then Zilpah had Gad and Asher. These were all the sons, verse uh, 26, of Jacob were born to him in Paddan around, but they all had weakness, and so do we. That's life. That's life. Now, death is certain, the death of Isaac, verse 27. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now, the days of Isaac were 180, he outlived the other patriarchs, 100, longer, 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. Now, he lived about 40 years after this whole thing, if you remember, that happened with, with Jacob stealing the birthright. And he couldn't even see at that point. He lived a long time after that. So death is certain, but it's not without hope. He breathed his last it is appointed unto man, Hebrews 9.27, is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Everyone's going to die. So when it says he breathed his last, this tent is mortal. This tent will eventually give out. He was gathered to his people. I love this. This is an idiom for immortality. It's spoken of about Abraham, Ishmael, interesting, Isaac, Jacob, Aaron, and Moses, all in the Pentateuch that they were gathered to his people. Relationships among God's people do not end with death. Let me tell you something. There is going to be a family reunion like no other coming up. Anything you've ever attended will pale in comparison because this family reunion is going to involve people that are 6,000 years dead. They're all invited. The family of faith reunion is going to be absolutely incredible. His sons buried him. 
Again, this is the earthly reminder of a coming resurrection. David, Dr. David Jeremiah said this, if you have been born only once, you will have to die twice. But if you have been born twice, you will have to die only once, and you may even escape that one death if Jesus returns to the earth during your lifetime. I say, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. And I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Jesus said, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. There is a coming resurrection. Death is sad, death is sudden, death is certain. Now, as we get into chapter 36, we're going to come back to verses 9 through 15 in a moment. The Bible pattern now wraps up the history of Esau and then carries forward the promised lineage to Jesus Christ through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and we're going to get that carried on. But it ends the genealogy of Esau, in a sense, in chapter 36. So the first thing to notice here is, in verse 1, This is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. So as you read your Bible and you read about Edom, you have to know that's important. They are the descendants of Esau. And we read that in verse 8. Esau who dwelt in Mount Seir, Esau is Edom. Verse 19, Esau who is Edom, and these were were their chiefs. Last verse of the chapter, verse 43. These were the chiefs of Edom. Esau was the father of the Edomites. So when you read Edom, you have to understand that this is, this is important to understand as you read in your Bible. Edom designates a people. These are the descendants of Esau, the Edomites. Now Esau rejected God. No heart for God. Therefore, God rejected him. So as I look at the chapter, there are a ton of names listed, but totally absent of God of Lord, capital L, and of any pronoun that's capital H or capital H, he or him. It has none of that in the whole chapter. And so Edom also designates a land. It's the land of Edom, which is south of the Dead Sea. Not the promised land, the land of Edom. Now, let's, let's take this as it comes. Chapter 36, the family of Esau, verses 1 through 19. This is the genealogy of Esau, verse 1, who is Edom. So... We get the three wives of Esau he took from the daughters of Canaan. We get five sons of Esau, which were born to him in the land of Canaan. And then, verse 9, it says, this is the genealogy of Edom, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. Beginning in verse 10, again, I'm skipping over this. Beginning in verse 10 through 19, you have the grandsons of Esau. Yeah, grandsons are the best. And he had ten of them. So through Eliphaz, he had five plus one. So Eliphaz, you have five grandsons in verse uh, 10 and 11. They're named. Now, there, I want to look at a couple of these. There are three names that I think are noteworthy of stopping for a moment. Eliphaz, Amalek, and jo- Jobab. So they're of interest here. So you have Eliphaz in verse 11, but he's actually mentioned six times in this genealogy or in the book of Genesis. Genesis. 
Eliphaz, now look at verse 11. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gadam, and Kenaz. Now, if you're looking for names, those are some that are very unique. <laughs> Eliphaz, but notice it says in, in verse 11, Eliphaz, and then it has Teman. Well, you read in the book of Job, Eliphaz, the Temanite. So some believe that this Job, you also read in verse 33 and 34, this guy named Jobab in this genealogy. So some believe that this is the Job of the book of Job. You also read of Uz in this genealogy. So we know that Job was from the land of Uz. I always think of the land of Oz. <laughs> now, a reminder just as we stop here for this, this, this uh, Eliphaz or the Temanite. Even though the nation, in this case Edom, in our case the United States, though it may be under judgment, that does not mean every individual is. Job, if indeed he's living, that's who this is, was a godly man living uprightly, God's boast to the Satan himself. He said, have you not considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. I mean, this is pretty fantastic guy. A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, though you did all this stuff to him, although you incited me against him, to destroy him without cause. God's saying, look at Job. I say, Lord, I hope that in some manner, in some measure, that's true of my life. And I think you would say the same for your life. It is not where you live, but who you live for that matters. And who you live for is going to determine right now how you live. And not only that, what happens when you die. Who are you living for? Job lived for God. And we need to do the same exact thing in the midst of everything that we're facing today. Now, these ten grandsons continues in verse 12. There's Timnah, the concubine of Eliphaz. So number six grandson to, through Eliphaz, through his concubine. You get that one. Now... He's of interest, Amalek. Look at verse 12. It says she bore Amalek. Also in verse 16, there's the chief Amalek. Now, these Amalek, Amalekites were constantly against Israel from right when they came out of Egypt. And in the Bible, the Amalekites are a picture of the flesh. So living life as a believer, right from the beginning of our deliverance, there is this battle we have with the flesh. Romans chapter 8 says this, There's no condemnation now to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk, not, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. There's a higher law. It doesn't mean the law of sin and death is no longer active. It is, but there's a higher law that supersedes the law of sin and death through the Holy Spirit. So when you get the life, the law of the light, the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, these are things we can't go into in depth here. But know this. Look at what Galatians says. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill, what? The lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Notice, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. Paul mentioned this in Romans chapter 8. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We need to be led by the Spirit so God can lead us out from legalism into love. So he says, the works of the flesh are these. And he starts naming them, one of those ugly lists. And there's a lot of things on there. You have to look at them and say, that's the flesh. That's the flesh. Adultery, fornication, lewdness, sorcery, hatred, contentions. What is that? That's the flesh. That's the works of the flesh. And the flesh is always working to destroy our spiritual life. But then he says, the fruit of the Spirit is, one word, love. Defined. Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap what? Corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting. What are you munching on? What's your diet? What are you drinking in? What are you taking in? What am I drinking in? What am I feasting on? What's, what's, my, what's feeding my flesh and what's starving my flesh? The only way to starve the flesh is to feed the spirit. Now, these ten grandsons of Esau continues in, in verse 10. Four more grandsons to Ruel. Now, then you get to these three sons of, I don't even know how to say her name. I don't know if Jacob even could say it. Ahiloboamah. <laughs> Verse 5. She bore these three sons, Jerosh, Jalem, and Korah, who had no grandsons, at least none recorded. I said, well, that's sad. Then you get in verses 20 through 30, the sons and chiefs of Seir, who are called the Horites. Now, the Horites were inhabitants of the land, and they had some kind of governmental arrangement with uh, Esau in the land of Edom. We don't know what exactly that was, but they're mentioned here from start to finish in chapter in verses 20 through 30. Esau's descendants eventually dispossessed and destroyed them. But right now they're there in a part of the narrative. Let's go to verse 31. Here we have the kings of Edom. These were the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the children of Israel. I want to stop here a moment also. Before any king reigned over the children of Israel, what God wanted in his relationship with his people is that he would remain their only one and true king. That's what he wanted. God's desire was that the children of Israel would look to him continuously as their authority, ruler, and king. But as the children of Israel looked at the other nations, as they look at Samuel the prophet who's getting older, they look at the corruption of the judges, some of whom were Samuel's own sons. They tell, they say to Samuel, give us a king so that we can be just like the other nations. Samuel went and prayed to the Lord because that was a tough one for him. And the Lord said to him, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me from reigning over them. So give him the king. And we know the disaster that happens when something else is ruling our lives other than God. 
or someone else is ruling. Samuel warns them the king will take, 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 six times. He's going to take, 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 take. What's he going to take? He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take the best of your fields. He's going to take a tenth of your harvest. He's going to take your male and female servants. He's going to take your finest men. And not only that, when he's done that for all for himself, then you're also going to be serving him. That's what's going to happen. Nevertheless, as Samuel told him, this is what's going to happen. Take, 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 take. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. That's always a disaster when God's speaking. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. And so God granted, oh, God help us. That that's never something we're clamoring for, but that God is the king. When we reject God's rightful place as creator, king, and Lord, his rightful authority over our lives and over our marriages, over our families, over our communities, and yes, our nation, we always lose. More and more is taken. More and more is taken. What began in the Garden of Eden with Adam continues to the present day. Satan, the subtle, cunning, and crafty liar that he is, whispers that God is the problem, that God is lying, that God is holding back, that God wants to ruin your fun. The truth is, you are serving either one of only two masters, Satan and sin, or the Son and our Savior. Who's the Lord of your life? Who's the master of the ship? Who's directing your life? Who is it you're looking to as the authority ultimate? I hope and trust and believe that you're, you're, you're looking more and more and more to have God be the sole one who is your king, your Lord, your master, as I do. I clamor for that. I desire that. Bob Dylan says you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. He didn't say some can. He said no one can serve two masters. For he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then he says you cannot serve God and mammon, the flesh. Now, how many times have you taught, sought to see, make that verse not true? You can't do it. And so before any king reigned over the children of Israel. Now, the kings of Edom in, in verse uh, 31 through 39, you have, now this is an interesting pattern here. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Dibonah. Now, you have that three times. And the name of his city was Dibonah. Then you read, and when Bela died, Jobab reigned in his place. And when Jobab died, then Hushan reigned in his place. You get this pattern seven times. He died, someone else reigned in his place. He died, someone else reigned in his place. And then three times, and the name of the, his city was Dibna. Let me say this in going through these. It does not matter what city is named after you. Your death is certain. And soon the citizens who live there will not care or even know who you were. Ecclesiastes wraps this up very well. Vanity, vanity. It does not matter how great the chiefs you are named among. 
your death is certain. Some other chief will reign in your place, and you will soon be forgotten. Now, that's a little depressing in some ways, but when we realize the ultimate destiny of the believer, we say, let it die. <laughs> let it go. Take my name off the plaque. Tear down my monument. Now, let's return to verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again. And when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel, governed by God, shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful. Now, there are three things of this promise. I want to go over these promises again. We started with them. We're going to continue back to them now. He said, A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, Jacob. Began with Abraham, Isaac, now Jacob. Now, that's the promise. But the greater, that, but greater than the nation Israel at the pinnacle of her glory, or any other nation, is the promise of a heavenly citizenship in a holy nation with the people of God. That's the promise. That's what we look to. That's the certainty in death when we're res risen again. Philippians, we, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter, we are a holy nation, his own special people. Now the second promise, and kings shall come from your body. This is God reiterating again what he told Abraham, now he's telling Jacob. Promised kings would come through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's passing down this covenant promise, began with Abraham. But, promised kings, but greater than Israel's greatest kings and greater than the most powerful king of kings this world has ever known, named Nebuchadnezzar, Artaxerxes, is the promised king of kings. His name is Jesus and he is coming soon. That's what we're looking for. That's the certainty in death and life. Jesus is coming again. Paul told Timothy, you keep the commandments without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He was the blessed only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwell in the unapproachable light, which no man has seen or can see, to whom be glory and everlasting power. And everyone said... Come, Lord Jesus. Revelation. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who receive authority for one hour as, king, as kings with the beast, Antichrist. Verse 14. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. That's his people on the charge. That's what we're looking for. That's the certainty that we're looking to. I got to do this one too. Revelation chapter 19. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. 
And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written on that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And, he's, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, that's you and I built the church, White and clean followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth went a sharp sword, that, it, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yeah. Third promise, verse 12. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, and to your descendants after you I give this land promised the land given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Israel, the greatness of God's promises that are yet to be fulfilled. But they are coming. Already we see the miraculous fulfillment of God's regathering, restoring Israel as a sovereign nation in the promised land, May 14, 1948. But I believe that what God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that is yet to be fulfilled will be seen very soon. It will be the greatest display of the glory and faithfulness of God in fulfilling the promises he made to Abraham, again to Isaac, again to Jacob. It will be the, the glory of God's pres, pre, preserving power to do exactly what he said he would do. Literally. Jesus will return, and the nation Israel will turn to him in national mourning and repentance. Jesus will receive them who rejected him and killed him at his first appearance. That's the grace and mercy of God. Jesus will establish his kingdom on earth for 1,000 years. It's coming. Jesus said, in this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory. How long? Forever. And then we all said, amen. amen. That is coming. Amen. One more page of notes. Stay with me. <laughs> the certainties in life and death. Verse 13, then God went up from him in, that, in the place where he talked with him. Back at Bethel, back where he began, long ago when he first met God. Verse 14, so Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured, on it, he poured oil on it, and Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel, the house of God. Drink offerings. Jacob poured oil on the stone he had set up in consecration to God. Jacob again sets up a pillar of stone where God talked with him and poured a drink offering on and oil upon it. The drink offerings accompanied many of the sacrifices. At all set feasts, the drink offerings were presented. They accompanied the free will offerings, the continual burnt offerings, and Sabbaths, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Paul used these illustrations being poured out in life and in death. Philippians, 
I am already being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. His life. This arose, there arose this vapor, a sweet aroma to God in life and in death. So we read in 2 Timothy, Paul said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, I think you got to capitalize that number. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me, and not only to me only, but all those who love his what? Appearing. It's a beautiful picture of the sweet aroma that our lives are to God when poured out in life, and then this vapor ascending to him in death. I close with this song. Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. In other words, God can't wait to be with us. But he's got more he's doing. He goes on. Oh, Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Now in the presence of his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the encouragement that I have received, and I trust, Lord, as your word goes out, we are taking in, drinking in your word. You are far from done, whatever that means and whenever that is. And so in the meantime, Lord, we are asking in Jesus' name that, there's a re- that we would be mindful again of a coming resurrection. And until that day, we want to be faithful to you. We don't want to be divided in our hearts. We don't want to be, Lord, of sort of hiding away the idols. And so, Lord, we bow our hearts before you. We say, Jesus, please, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Set my feet again upon the rock. Grant to me, Lord, in the midst of all the craziness, in the midst of all the, what seems like ramped up violence and almost like there's no way out. I pray, Lord, in the midst of all of this, we would find our refuge in you. We would find our peace in you. We would find our, the, the, our hearts worshiping you and trusting you and believing you. We would, Lord, Lend our, yield ourselves as, as instruments of righteousness to you. I, Lord, I hardly know where to go with the prayers that come out of my heart from these, these passages and, and what we've looked at today. But I know that I know that I know one day you will return in glory and you're going to set and make things right. And on that day, Lord, we will stand before you and worship you who lives forever and ever, 
who's redeemed us from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, made us kings and priests to our God, not because of anything we've done, but because of what you did on the cross and dying for our sins, what you did in giving us new life, filling us with your Holy Spirit, giving us the body, the church, to, to help us together as your people to proclaim your kingdom through the gospel and to make a difference in this short period, this vapor of our lives. And so, Lord, I pray you'd forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray, Lord, you'd reset our focus on the things that matter, particularly in the midst of all that we're facing today. I pray, Lord, that we would be those that are seeking to, to continue to, to, to bring the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, whatever our spheres of influence. Would you stand with, before the Lord together with me? Lord, so we stand before you as your people. We ask, Lord, if there's anyone in, in hearing distance, whether it's through the, through the media here, here in this room, Lord, apart from you, there is no salvation. There is no other Savior. So, Lord, we're asking to move in our midst, not only in our lives and drawing us to yourself and repentance and cleansing, and renewing our, just Lord, our, our love for you, but also if there's anyone listening to this, that they would come to know Jesus, the, the, the Savior and the only Savior, the King of righteousness, the only one, the coming Lord of lords, King of kings. Lord, we pray that anyone that's hearing that doesn't know you right now, they would give their lives to you in prayer through repentance, confessing sin, asking your forgiveness and receiving from you the only one who can forgive through Jesus Christ all of their sin. If that's you, I pray you'd respond today as we close in song. In Jesus' name, amen.